I pray that we would have ears to hear, Lord, and God, that we would submit to the truth that we are about to read and study, and I pray, God, that it would change us drastically. It would transform us. Lord, I pray that you would take my weakness, Lord, and infuse it with your strength, and I pray, God, that you would work, and Lord, even as I seek to teach others, you would change and teach me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bibles this morning, if you'd open up to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, this morning, we are going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I don't think my slides are going to work this morning, um, but we're going to read this passage, and as we read it, I want us to get a feel for what is going on here. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This morning, the title of the message is Listen as if your life depended on it. Listen as if your life depended on it. And what we're going to see today is the necessity of listening to what God has revealed. How many times, parents, and how many times, kids, can you remember your mom and dad looking at you saying, pay attention to me? I heard that a lot when I was a kid. I know that shocks you. But I heard that a lot. Pay attention. Listen to me. Are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. That whole idea. little one's hands, you literally aren't going to be able to find them. You don't know where they're going to be. And I would look at them. I'd get down on my knees and look them in the eye. And I'd say, now listen, buddy, listen, sweetie, whoever I was talking to. And I'd be like, look, you've got to hold on to me. You got to hold tight because we're in a big place. And if I lose your grip, you're going to go away from me. And I remember that. And, and, and parents, I think you can, you can think about how that works well, this morning, we're looking at the danger of spiritual drifting, and we're seeing the necessity of listening as if our life depended on it. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Today, three observations about the text, three observations that I hope help us understand the necessity of listening. The first observation is we see an urgent command. We see an urgent command. Command, And we see it right there in verse 1. And he says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away 
from it. Now, I want you to think about this right off the bat. Therefore, and you've heard it before, and I know it's a corny phrase, but I want it to be embedded in your brain to think. He's referred to by the Father as full deity. He's eternal ruler enthroned on high. All enemies will be placed as a footstool for his feet. The angels are even his ministers. And now the author of Hebrews writing to these persecuted Christians that are going through great conflict. He says, listen, you got to understand. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, because of who he is, in light of his glory, in light of the wonder of what he brings, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. A right understanding of Christ brings a greater accountability. It carries with many, many, many implications. He's saying, look, you got to understand, pay close attention. The word means it's, it's what it sounds like, hold the mind or the ear towards someone. I'll give you an example. Have you ever been talking to somebody? The other day I had to call uh, for something and I needed a part or I needed a phone number they were giving me and there was a lot of people around and they were, I was like, can, and they like, can you write this down? And I'm like, no, I can't write it down, but I'll put it in my text message. And immediately it's all loud. People are yelling around you and you put that phone way up to your ear because you've got to get this right. I'm listening before, but I haven't been listening like I'm listening now. Make sense? I've been hearing you but not like I'm trying to listen to you now. It's as if he's saying, look, you've got to listen. You've got to lean in. You've got to listen to me. You've got to hear what's been said. You've got to take in what's been revealed. But this is going to be fascinating because the word pay, pay closer attention, and the word drift, they're both nautical terms. They were used of vessels. They were used of ships. And, and so now I want you to think of that imagery because the nautical term for pay close attention means to hold a ship in a direction, to sail towards something. It means to hold on one's course towards a place. That's significant here because pay close attention. And then he goes on. I want to show you a couple places where this is used. Second Peter 1.19. It'd be hard for you to turn there that quick, but listen to what it says.
you know, we all, I think, would make the mistake if we're not careful. If we were doing an order of service, we would label the singing part worship and the preaching part preaching. But have you ever considered the worship doesn't stop when you get done with the songs? Worship is submitting and heeding the word of God. So corporately, the question right now is, is there an attitude corporately right now of a bowing and bending of the will to yield unto what God says? Now think about how often we hear differently than that. How often we hear for information. I can't tell you how many times as a preacher's kid, growing up around the church, watching people hear my dad, I can't remember how many times people, they listen to sermons, not so much with the attitude of how can I submit my life to the truth of God's word, but I've heard this before. How are you going to say it today? What do you got to say about this passage? I've heard this one before. I've heard you talk about this passage before. What is going to interest me today? It's more of an observation. It's more of a distance. But what we have to understand is that we all fall into that trap, all of us. But God is calling us to bow and bend the will. He goes on, an applying of the heart to it, a placing of the affections upon it, bringing the whole man into conformity thereunto. Thus it comprises knowledge of the word, faith therein, obedience thereto, and all other due respects that may any way concerning it. Take heed to what you hear. He says much. He uses the word much here. It means exceedingly, abundantly above, much attention, lest we drift away. wrong at the earlier service. I think I was 16 or 17. And uh, so we had to have certain checklists to go on the trip. You know how it is. A lot of y'all, you get your stuff about a week before you go on the trip. But the barbers, we rolled into Walmart about 1130 the night before we were leaving. And I'm looking for an air mattress. And you know, they've got, I bought one and they didn't really have a lot of options, but this thing was large. And so we get there, and uh, all the guys are in this. Uh, I mean, we, we stayed at a really pretty place. It wasn't a tourist area, but it was a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And we stayed in this room. And so imagine you go into a room, and you got 20 guys, and everybody starts throwing their air mattress all over the floor. But I had one that was a king size. And it was bigger than the king size. We used to have this bed, and it was humongous. It it was massive. 
And it was like, you could put everybody in the family on it and have plenty of room. <laughs> and I had one of those air mattresses and all my friends loved it. And they immediately affectionately called it the beast. That my air mattress was the beast. They loved it. They're like the beast. And it was huge. And so all these people were on this like twin size air mattress and I'm laying out in the middle of the room and they just died laughing every time they looked at it. Well, one day, Mickey Hamill, who's preached here many times, He's not that bright, if you haven't recognized. And uh, he, he said, you know what? You need to take the beast out to the ocean. And I was like, immediately, you know, we, we thought it was the greatest idea we'd ever heard. And everybody's like, the beast, the beast. And so we take the beast out. And so Tommy is Mickey's older brother. He's about seven years older than me. And so at the time, he was like 23. He was one of our leaders. And uh, he gets on the beast with me, and he's like, dude, I'm tired. I'm like, I am too. So we're out laying out on the beast in the Caribbean. I'm like 6'5". He's like 6'4". We got plenty of room. We're laying out, and we just sit there, and we're closing our eyes. And after about 30 minutes, I look up. Tommy, Tommy. He's like, what, what, what? Look. And he looks, and I'm like, man, we're a long way away. He's like, man, we're a long. I'm talking, we were hundreds of yards from the, the shore, and we sort of didn't take it that serious. We went back to sleep. <laughs> and we kept drifting and drifting and drifting, and we almost got ourselves into a mess. I wondered this morning, how many of you are taking the same approach to your Christian life? You've fallen into the trap where you think that being neutral or inactive is not going to cost you. And you've literally drifted and drifted and drifted away. This morning, the author of Hebrews wants to see the danger of such an approach. The danger, I like what Kent Hughes says. He says, the church's experience 2,000 years ago intersects our lives in this way. Drifting is the besetting sin of our day. And as the metaphor suggests, it is not so much intentional it's from unconcern. Christians neglect their anchor Christ and begin to quietly drift away. There's no friction, no dramatic sense of departure. But when the winds of trouble come, the things of Christ are left far behind, even out of sight. We've got to take heed to what we've heard. We've got to take heed this morning if somebody called you up this afternoon and said, hey, I need some help.
simply being one who drifts, drifts away. I'll tell you, we've got to be careful because one of the challenges the pandemic has brought to us in many situations, they're legitimate concerns of people seeking to be wise and not foolish, but we got to be careful. Satan would want nothing more than to take something that looks to be safe and to pull people away from the body of Christ. And I will not be surprised if some of the people that are three or four times a year attenders, if they never come back into the church again. Why? You start drifting, it's easy to keep drifting. You get away from the people of God, what happens? You begin to say, well, I can do this, but I'm not gonna do that anymore. That's not this. And I, again, no, 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 no complaints or no in no statements there, what I'm saying is the danger of drifting can take place even when you're seeking to be wise and prudent. If you're not careful, you can drift. But we go into the second one this morning. We see not only an urgent command, but we see a sober warning, a sober warning. Look what he does. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Here's what he seems to be doing. Angels were mediators. We learned that last time. We could look at a couple of passages. Um, Acts chapter 7, verse 53 says this, Stephen as he is getting martyred for the faith, he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So the angels were looked at as uh, the messenger in that sense. Galatians 3 verse 19 says it this way. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels, now listen to this, by an intermediary. So what this seems to mean is, as one man says, the Old Testament does not state directly that angels gave the law to Moses, but it implies it, and the New Testament confirms it. That law imposed frightening penalties for sin. I was looking at one just in between services, and this seems to be the heart of it. Do you remember in Deuteronomy 30, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 30 is sort of like the, the summary of the law. And, and here's what it says. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But then he says, verse 17, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. It's called the blessings and the cursings of the law. And so take that idea into what he says here in verse two. And what he speaks of is, he's saying, look, if there was accountability and there was a just retribution to the response that people had to the old covenant, that was given through angels, how much more if we go from angels to one who's superior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And if we go from the old covenant to one that's superior, the new covenant, how much more shall there be consequence for disobeying and turning away from the truth? Does that make sense? It's almost like a lesser to greater argument. He's saying, look, in the old covenant, there was a consequence. There was accountability. How much more if you turn away from the message of Christ? How much more if you turn away from the gospel? And that's what he seems to be doing. He's saying, look, this was reliable. Every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. It's fascinating. The word transgression is like a deliberate stepping over a line. It's sort of, uh, have you noticed when he's, Ben's amazing. I'll be like, Ben, um, don't touch that. And what does he do? Looks at me and then smiles. And what did he do? He boldly went over the line that I just gave him. But the second word, disobedience, implies one who says this. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. Sorry. Can't hear you. Sorry. 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 Can't hear you. I've shut my ears off. I'm not listening to what you say. I'm not even going to listen to what the word is. I'm not going to hear it. Either way, whether it's commission or omission, there's sin, right? There's sin involved in the turning away. A sober warning. And the warning continues, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? How shall we escape? Now, now what is going on here? What is happening? One of the things that we need to understand is, how shall we escape if we neglect? The word neglect is the idea of careless, not to care for, just like it sounds. You neglect it. You don't care for it. You don't show concern for it. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now think about this, so great a salvation. We could spend hours on this. I mean, this salvation in Hebrews chapter 9, that's going to be so much fun when we get into how he's a greater high priest. And this is what it says in Hebrews 9. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I mean, one statement after the other, how the new covenant supersedes the old covenant, how it's better, how it's magnificent. And when we think about this wonderful salvation, and I hope at the end of the book of Hebrews, you're going to be like, let me tell you how wonderful this salvation is. But then in turn, he says, how shall we escape if we neglect it? If we neglect it. Say the word of God is. The preacher answers to the word of God. Teachers go through a stricter judgment, James chapter 3 says. So in light of that, I'm going to share these to you, but they're the guidelines of how I'm approaching these warnings as we walk through Hebrews. 
the first one. The Bible does not teach we can lose our salvation. And I know this is a very complicated subject, but I want to just hit on some so you know where I'm coming from. The verse that I would say I feel like is a slam dunk on this one is Romans chapter 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And one of the truths and one of the joys of this passage is that if you've been predestined by God, if you've been called by God, your glorification, even though it's future in our mind, is present in the eyes and the mind and the heart of God. That's incredible. Because what it shows us is that ultimately God enables those who are his to endure. As we'll see later on. It shows us that those who are his are able to move forward because of the Spirit's work within us. The second principle I want you to think about here. Not only does the Bible not teach, it doesn't teach we can lose our salvation, but number two, apostasy reveals no true root in the faith. People are going to leave the faith. And the older you get, it becomes very alarming. And I want you to understand, younger people, if you don't know this right now, your faith could be tempted to have shipwreck because of people that you admire and look up to that walk away from Jesus. But it's a promise all through the Bible that people will forsake God and walk away. But it says something in 1 John chapter 2. Listen to 1 John 2. In 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, what does it say? They would have continued with us. Now, wait a minute. If, if the person's walking away and lost their salvation there, 1 John 2, 19 doesn't make any sense at all. But what does he say? When people abandon the faith, they reveal their true root, whether it's truly in the faith or not. The third principle Bible doesn't teach we can lose our salvation. Apostasy reveals no true root in the faith. Number three, the Holy Spirit enables true believers to endure ultimately. And I use the word ultimately there. say, what do you mean? What I mean is, let me ask you something, Christian. Have you ever had a time in your life that you drifted and you played with the things of this world and you were wandering from the faith and your heart was stirred with the holy fear of God as you sat in a congregation and heard the word of God preached and heard about the consequences of sin 
and the ultimate destruction of the wicked? Anybody in here besides me? What is that? What is that? You know what it is? God uses his word in sanctifying, growing ways in the lives of his people. And he'll stir you. This morning, you may be here and you're running from God. And you may not be visible to others that you're running from God, but maybe your mind's filled with pornography. Maybe you're living in a way your wife has no clue about. So, teenager, you may be completely into stuff on your phone that your parents don't even have a clue about, and you're moving away. And in the process of looking at this passage and in the process of hearing what God's calling you to do, you're strangely warmed, you're moved in a way that you can't explain to your friends. You know what it is? The Holy Spirit of God calling you back to himself, using the warning passages to keep you on the line. But there's a final group, or the final observation is, warnings also serve as a call for those on the fence to come to true saving faith in Christ Jesus. You see, all the way through the Bible, you see this wheat and tares. You see at times there's professing Christians who are not truly in the faith. They're not committed followers of Christ. They're simply around for the effect. They want the benefits. They've never followed Jesus. And the warning passages in that sense can serve as an evangelistic call calling people to put their faith and their trust in Jesus. And then the question comes up, well, what is it here? What is he doing in Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four? Is he talking to professing Christians that may not even be Christians at all? Or is he talking to the church? And I would say the Holy Spirit is so powerful. He uses these types of passages in productive, unique, miraculous ways, in ways that only he can do whether they're Christians or whether they're unbelievers, he works in simple but powerful, profound ways. You see, I like how I was struggling with this. What does it mean? You know, how do we apply this as the Christian? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Kent Hughes says, the writer says there is no escape from the terrible consequences. I want to ask you a question, Christian. If you're drifting from the faith, even if you are a child of God this morning, and you're drifting from the faith, is it not true that you are dealing with terrible consequences in the present? You're bringing a reproach upon the name of Christ. You're setting a bad example for the people around you and your family. All kinds of things. You're robbed of the fruitfulness of what God desires to produce in your life. It literally could be... You're really not even sure if once you get to college, you would profess the name of Christ. Understand, it's a warning. It's a warning that if you depart from the faith, you will face the judgment of God. And it is tragic. It is tragic. It is tragic. So this morning you would say, oh, believer, don't neglect what God has done in Jesus Christ. Don't be flippant with it. 
Don't be passive with it. This morning, wake up, look at it. How can you pay close attention to the faith? This morning, by the grace of God, pray that you might, through his enablement, spend time in the word every day. Pray that you might spend time in prayer with the Lord. Pray that you might be built up by fellow believers. Pray that you might serve in the local church. But oh, unbeliever, respond. Don't be flippant. Don't be passive. I'll never forget one of the most heartbreaking stories I could tell you. I was a youth pastor in Portland, Oregon, Savi Island Community Church. I was 24 years old, 25. Sweet little girl named Eva. 15, 16 years old. One day, my pastor, uh, she wanted to meet with myself and she wanted to meet with him. I love this man. And, and I, he, he was such a mentor to me. And we came into his office and we sat down and this precious little girl sat there and with her Bible in her lap and she looked at us. I'll never forget. She says, I want to learn how to grow in my faith and walk with Jesus Christ. And she had such a sweet expression. I was so blessed and so encouraged as I made that drive back into Northeast Portland that afternoon. But let me tell you today, she despises and is disgusted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's completely walked away from the faith, completely abandoned any claim to Christ. I've seen it growing up in churches. My Sunday school teacher, when I was a young man at Woodland Park, went to my dad one day after several years of being in the same situation. And as he hit midlife, he went into his office. He says, you know, Wayne, I got the same old job I had when I started following Christ. I make the same crummy salary I had when I started following Christ. I deal with the same problems, the same wife, the same situations, walked away from Christ. You've got story after story. I went to seminary, and one of my buddies that I love dearly, he went into seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, he went in and we talked ministry, he was full-time minister. Today, we had a conversation about five years ago, which is one of the most tragic conversations I've ever had with anyone. I sat there on the phone. I said, I got one question for you, man. He said, what? I said, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He paused and he says, no, I do not. Walked away from the faith. I've seen it happen here at Riverside Community Church over the last 13 years. I've seen people walk away. What is it? How does this work? What happens? I remember I was a 23-year-old young man in Portland, Oregon, and I was going through a time of despair and doubt. I was running from God. I was making horrible decisions. I was living single and free, what I thought free to myself. I was in seminary and never been further away from God. And I'll never forget, I was dealing with all kinds of questions about evolution, about all kinds of life perspectives, and I was at a loss. I remember talking to one friend late into the night. I was like, I'm dealing with so much doubt. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in Lake Oswego, Oregon, in a Starbucks. That's shocking, isn't it? And I was reading. I was sitting in there, and I was reading out of the Gospel of John. And I was reading through John chapter 6 and John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. And my heart resonates with a passage like John chapter 6, where all the people, Jesus had said the difficult words, and some of them have walked away. And it says in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
There were people that were around him. If you would have looked at who's a Christian, who's the people that follow Christ, it would definitely be them. But when the difficult things came, similar to what Mike said in the parable as he read the parable of the sower, those people walked away. But then in verse 67, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hebrews is written to a group of people tempted to leave. And yet in the midst, there's going to be some stirred by the word of God. Where can we go? But that And who is supreme in Christ Jesus? Where else can we go? And there's going to be others, sadly, that walk away, commit apostasy, and reveal their true spiritual condition. Friend, today as you sit here, do you realize the warning that God gives? The warning God gives is do not neglect such a great salvation. Don't neglect it. Because I pray if the Lord lets me stay around... I pray there's not going to be any, but, but based on not only the scripture and based on past experience, it wouldn't be shocking if 25 years from now, I look back to this sermon and I thought, wow, that person that professed the name of Christ is far from him now. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. But then thirdly this morning, not only an urgent command, a sobering warning but thirdly, confirming witnesses. I love this. He's constantly, don't you love how it's not, the scripture's never painted as this like platitude, like pie in the sky, like, you know, um, the, 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 the religion for the weak, the crutch for those who can't cope with real life. No, it's historically revealed. And here he wants them to understand. And you got to remember, this is written, and some of the people even there would have had testimony of people that were a part of knowing this firsthand. And he says at the end of verse 3, I lost my place here. I love it when that happens. I love it when it takes several seconds to find it. Let me read verse 4. And when we look at verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He gives four categories, really, of how God established the veracity of Christ. He starts and he says it was declared at first by the Lord in verse 3. Declared at first by the Lord. Remember in verse 2 of Hebrews 1, in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. That's the idea. Declared at first by Christ. And then he moves in and he says what? And it was attested to us by those who heard. Who is this group? He seems here to be referring to the apostles. The apostles. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Church is built on the foundation of the the apostles and the prophets. And, And then he keeps going. And then he says, not only that, but while we're looking for confirming witnesses, not only did you have the declaration of Christ, And not only did you have the witness of the apostles, but now you've got the witness of the miracles that they did, which God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. That's a fascinating topic to talk about. 
the gifts in today and the past. We don't have time this morning. But what he's showing is, is that these miracles that were done in the apostolic age, these miracles that were done in the gospels, they were not just miracles. They were authenticating the supremacy of Jesus. They were authenticating the supremacy of his message. And then he goes on, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And what's so exciting as you look at that last segment and that last layer, he's pointing to the fact that even the spiritual gifts that are in the body of Christ, they give testimony, they testify that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because when we see the gifts functioning within the body of Christ, it's a reminder of the resurrection power of Christ working through the power of the Holy Spirit that is enabling the body to function in a way that gives tribute and testimony and veracity and truthfulness to the claims of Christ. I love this. Stephen Cole says, salvation is only great if it's true. If it's just someone's fanciful idea with no factual basis, it may be nice, but it certainly isn't worth suffering the loss of your property or shedding your blood for This great salvation was not only at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. And he goes on to speak about the confirmation of the witnesses. So what do we see this morning? We see, listen, 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 listen. An urgent command. A sobering warning. And we see confirming witnesses. If you're even on the fence, why should I listen? Why should I submit? Why should I pay careful attention He goes so far, it reminds me of 2 Peter when he says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales and myths when we made known to you the power of his coming. And then Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Same idea. This morning as we close and we think about these three observations, which way are you moving this morning? Are you trending towards paying close attention to what you've heard? Are you drifting today? This morning, maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, I I can't even tell you how the Holy Spirit has taken this text and has stirred my heart to run after the things of God. If that's you this morning, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I need to follow Christ's but there's part of you hesitant to do it. You might be here and you're thinking, you know what? If I'm really honest, if I'm really honest and I got past all of the externals, I'm not a follower of Jesus Christ. I go to church occasionally. I profess Christ, but I'm not a disciple. I've never taken up my cross and followed after Jesus, denying myself. I pray today you would see the beauty of Christ. Chapter one shows us who he is in his glory. And this morning, you would never neglect such a great salvation, understanding the consequences are tremendous to those who turn away from Jesus. I tell you, uh, Hebrews is a fun book, isn't it? Just, just, just amazing. It's teaching us the first application he's given really in chapter two right here. First command, chapter one is really just all these truths. But remember as you leave, you can't be neutral, you can't be inactive, and you can't just be apathetic. It's not just going to keep you in a neutral spot. 
It's going to lead to danger. It's going to lead to disaster. It's going to lead you to a place you'd never want to be. But this morning, look into Jesus and turn into him, heeding what he says in his word. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you're faithful to us, Lord. I think about just the hymn, Lord, uh, come thou fount in, in that one line, prone to wonder. But Lord, I thank you that even as we are prone to wonder, the only reason we are prone to continue is because of your faithfulness and because of your hand. And Lord, you even take passages like Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 6 and all kinds of passages throughout this letter and you use them not only to warn those who are professing Christ and don't know him, but you use it in a way to grow your own people. You grow your children. Lord, we praise you for that because Lord, I pray we'd all see our own foolishness in our own flesh. But God, we give you the glory. I pray that we would take heed. We would listen with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and we would not be drifting away, but we would actively seek to take hold of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand